If you have your Bibles, could you take them and turn to Ephesians chapter 3? Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to continue our study in Ephesians today and where we are by, by the time we get to the reading that we're going to hear in just a moment. Paul has expressed a privilege that he has, a privilege he feels in, in revealing the mystery of what God is doing in Jesus Christ. And based on that mystery being revealed, he's going to pray a prayer, and it's actually kind of a, a combo here between a prayer and a prayer report. So he kind of tells him what he is praying, and at the same time he is praying. So I'm going to ask Eli Henniger to come and read Ephesians three fourteen through 21 for us. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. Americans purchase approximately 6.5 billion greeting cards a year. It's a seven to eight billion dollar industry in the United States alone. Many of those cards have positive thoughts, encouraging words. They express something. I mean, this is just human to want to tell someone else what you feel about them, how you care for them. Actually, my goal for this message is for us to put the lens of Scripture on and realize that Paul is doing more than just giving a positive wish in the verses that we just heard read. If I have my goal, my goal isn't to deliver a, a lecture today. It is really to be an encourager, a coach, a cheerleader, for us to fully wrap our minds around what we've just read I think when we do that, we can evaluate what is really important. And, and I think we'll, we'll also, when we, if, we, if we truly get what God has for us this morning, we're going to change in how we think and how we pray for other people. It'll sound less like a, a greeting card that you could buy for a few bucks and more like a, a deep spiritual concern that we've re- read here. Paul's already called himself a servant. He's their servant, so... As a servant, he prays. He prays for these people. And we, we see that even in verse 14, right? He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. For this reason I bow my knees. And we are bow, my, bow your knees. And we immediately kind of default into that's a posture of prayer. Actually, in that time, 
The way a, a Jewish person would pray is they would stand and often lift their hands up toward heaven, but they would certainly stand and pray. So Paul is signifying something different when he says, I get on my knees. And, and this isn't like which posture of prayer is right. I think both can be right. We can stand up and, and pray looking to heaven, but we can also get on our knees. But what that signifies is there is a father and all the, all the earth takes its fatherhood after him. And so Paul says, I get on my knees before this awesome father. And I can't think of a better day to think through how often father comes up when it comes to prayer. It just seems to come up repeatedly. Remember even Jesus said, this is the way you should pray. When you pray, start like this. Our father. For all the the poor examples of earthly fatherhood. For all the ways that we've we fail as fathers. There's still something even in our failure that, that points us to know there is something better. There is a perfect fatherhood and that's one who will listen and provide and care for those that are under their care, that depend on them. And so Paul says, I, I get on my knees to the Father for you. I mean, already in Ephesians, in Ephesians 1.5, that fatherhood of God's been attached to adoption. That God as a father chose adopted children into his family. He adopted many of you in this room. He adopted you into his family. He set his love on you. And now Paul says, as I, as I approach the father who's adopted you, I'm praying for you. I'm asking God for things for you. In Ephesians two eighteen, we talked about it a few weeks ago. Paul connected the fatherhood of God with access. He says, we have access to the Father because of what Jesus has done. So there's like open doors. You have an open door policy as a son or daughter of God to to go into his presence. You have an open door policy. He invites you. He knows what you need before you even ask. And still he invites you into his presence. He wants you there. We have access to him. Paul begins this prayer and he says, I'm getting on my knees to the Father and I'm making requests and uh, different people who've read this passage a a long time and studied it carefully delineate kind of different numbers of requests, like is it two, is it three, is it four? I really want to focus on two today. The first one comes in verses 16 and 17. So the first request is this, that according to the riches of his glory, which that's a and that's a loaded phrase, then, isn't it? If it's dependent on that, then we're in good shape because God is ultimately rich. According to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I just want to warn you, there's a temptation to speed through some of these words and we're not going to do that today because I think there's things we can learn. The prayer here is to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. The basic request is this, that as you get stronger on the inside, spiritually stronger on the inside, Jesus would make himself more and more at home. That's the gist of the request. As you get stronger on the inside, Jesus would make himself more and more at home. That you would be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being on the inside. See, this is so different than how I often think about life. I often think about life of things on the outside. And a lot of my prayers are consumed with things on the outside. So there are, are things outside of us. And so we pray for financial security so that nothing will be harmed, so we can live a, a lifestyle that's at least 
making ends meet, if not somewhat comfortable. I think there are things on the outside like our, our family and, and we want like the outside to have minimized stressful situations so that we don't have to deal with that and we don't, don't want to deal with loss and we don't want to deal with anything external. And see, Paul prays something very, very different. That's very different than the prayer that's prayed here. As much as I can think that my greatest needs and the greatest challenges and struggles I have are on the outside, that would ignore, that would ignore the fact that God is at work on the inside. That would ignore the fact that I need God's work on the inside more than I need all the outside things to be running like a well-oiled machine. He prays for strength. Strength in the midst of tough health. Strength in the midst of difficult financial situations. Strength in the midst of dysfunctional families. Strength in the midst of loss. He says, I'm praying that you'd be strong on the inside. I... A few uh, months back in the fall, I went down to Chattanooga and spent a few days there. I remember seeing billboards and seeing t-shirts and they said Chattanooga strong and they were, it was the response of a community to a terrorist attack that had so impacted that city and they were saying, we're going to be strong, we're going to make it through this, we can, we can pull together, we can be strong and, and I, I think we all appreciate that sentiment and we can all appreciate what is meant by that and yet Paul, there's something similar and yet there's something different as Paul says, I'm praying that you would be strengthened not by your own power but through the Holy Spirit working in you. Actually, it's going to be God's work, not just your own determination that makes you strong. It's going to be the Holy Spirit, God working in you, that is going to make you strong. What happens when God goes to work inside of us, when he strengthens us with his power? What does that look like? It it means that we see the world differently. We see it as God would have us see it. It means that our thinking changes. We have a renewed mind like Romans 12 talks about. And so we, we, we view the world differently. It means we recognize his nearness, his presence. It means even in the loneliness we recognize there is one who never leaves me. And, and that's what it means to be strong on the inside. It means we sense his peace because we know he's sovereign and we're more and more convinced of that and we, we grow strong on the inside saying there is something, there is a bigger plan and I can, I can rest in that. It means our soul is still like the song we just sang. It, it means our character changes. It, it, it doesn't mean we're everything we, we want to be just yet but it does mean we're, we're not what we used to be and it's because God is doing something inside of us that, that we could, all our good intentions wouldn't have accomplished. God has gone to work on us and in us. When we're strong on the inside we find ourselves more quickly trusting in his wisdom versus kind of throwing up all sorts of flags. I don't understand that. I don't get that. We find ourselves saying I don't understand it but I know God is all wise. I know he's not doing something foolish or stupid with my future. God doesn't do that. It means we rest in his goodness. It means we gain the ability to look at things from an eternal perspective, not just the next five minutes or five years. It means the fruit of the Spirit begins to pour out of our lives. When we're strong on the inside, it's going to show up through love and joy and peace and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and gentleness, and faithfulness, and self-control. 
It means what's, what's described in 1 John 4, the evidence is that we really are a believer, or really all throughout 1 John, that we, we believe, we confess that Jesus has come in the flesh, that we obey, we do what he says, that we love God and we love each other. It means all these things are at a different place in, their li- in our lives. And when all that happens, when we grow strong on the inside, verse 17 says, Jesus himself is more and more at home. Before we trusted Christ, our heart was not Jesus' home. As a matter of fact, it it tells us in Scripture that we live under the prince of the power of, of this age. We follow the course of this world. And the only thing in our heart are desires that will, will take us toward hell. But how different it is. How different it is when Christ comes and just makes himself at home. And, and it really is the entire trinity at work. Because Paul's saying, Father, I'm asking you that through your spirit that Jesus Christ would make himself at home in the lives of these believers. Father and Spirit and Son, all at work. What does it mean for Jesus to like make himself at home in your life? To take up residence there? Sometimes analogies are helpful. I think of my in-laws who live in this beautiful, beautiful acreage in central Pennsylvania. They live on what used to be farmland. So when they were married years and years ago, it was just farmland, it was a family farm. But slowly over time, they've made that that piece of land their own. They've made themselves at home. Literally, my father-in-law and his brother-in-law built a house there. They built an addition on there. And if you go there, you're going to see you're going to see them. You're going to see my my father-in-law, my mother-in-law, you're going to see the, their lives. You're going to see things that matter to them. You're going to see a beautiful garden. You're going to see a pool that they had built for my wife and, and her sister to, to swim and enjoy and have friends over. You're going to see a shop where my father-in-law spends hours making things and crafting wood. You're going to see some uh, targets, some archery targets where he's practicing for the next deer season you're going to see a piece of land that is theirs. You're going to walk in a home that it may not be the way you would design it. It may not function for you, but it wasn't meant to. It was meant for them to be at home. When Jesus makes himself at home in our lives, it's more and more like he belongs. The analogy fails, though, because Jesus doesn't just start with a a blank slate, clear piece of property. It's like he starts with a house that's a wreck. And slowly renovates and slowly remodels and slowly changes us. And, and we're still us in so many ways. And we're a new creation. Because old things are passing away and everything's becoming new. When Jesus goes to work on us, I mean, it impacts our values. What we want is different. What we prioritize is different. How we deal with the disappointments of life it's different. How we deal with even the deepest loss, it's different. How we handle our fears and our anxieties, it's different. When Jesus goes to work on us and, and really makes himself at home in our lives and, 
And what we do with those even like the petty irritations of life, which are, are, are numerous, it looks different when Jesus is making himself at home. How we treat others, whether we treat them with cynicism or disgust or love, it's different. It's different. Because Jesus is making himself at home inside of us. How we deal with temptation is different. This all happens, according to verse 17, through faith as we rest in God more. So faith certainly seems like a church word, but it's simply resting, putting our, our, our trust in God. As we rest in God more, we see the truth by faith. And Paul is praying because he knows we can't do enough to strengthen ourselves on the inside. We've got to have this work of God. So Paul prays. Does it look like, it's a very frank question, does it look like in your life Jesus is making himself more and more at home? Is he the occasional guest? Maybe staying a couple days a week? Or more and more? Is he just taking up residence? It's quite the prayer request. Do we, do we pray that for our own life? Do we pray that for others? There's another request here. Look at, look at the second part of verse 17. He prays that you, you could say us as well, being rooted and grounded in love, that we would have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of of God. Here's the basic request these verses are talking about. As you are rooted and grounded in love, here's the request that you will be able to get a strong grip on God's love for you. That you'd get a better grip on that. You're already rooted and grounded in love. It says you, you have been. There's a couple different analogies going on, right? You're rooted, so that's an agriculture analogy. You, you found fertile soil, and that fertile soil is love. It's actually working in your life. Jesus is giving you a great commandment. The fruit of the Spirit is producing love. This is happening. You're rooted in that. And, and then it's a building analogy. You've, you've laid a foundation. God has laid this foundation in your life of love. So you're rooted and you're grounded in love. And what's built on that? It's interesting. Paul assumes something. He assumes that they do not, that they do not have a full appreciation of how much God loves them. And that they will not unless God does a work in their lives. Do we understand that? He's praying this because he assumes they, they don't have that grasp yet, and that's why he's praying. Maybe he knows some things. I think as Paul is writing this letter, could he be thinking about the people in Ephesus? And maybe there are more similarities than we realize. Maybe it's been hard for lots in the room. Not just in the room at Ephesus when this was first read, but in Newark this morning, on June 19th. Maybe it's hard for us, just as it likely was hard for them to wrap our minds around that God loves us. And I can think of, of lots of reasons why that would be the case, why we would might not fully appreciate God's love for us. Maybe sitting in the congregation in Ephesus, maybe sitting here today, are those who, rather than being shown love by a parent, by a father, you're abused. You're mistreated. And now it's always hard to, to think through someone, uh, the Father loving you 
It's hard to get your mind around that. Maybe someone you cared about very deeply bailed on you, and ever since then, you've wondered, does does God even love me? Does anybody? Maybe Paul knew in that congregation was someone who had been abused and bullied all their life, and eventually you hear these things being said about you and eventually you believe them and eventually you're, you're tempted to become those things that are said, said about you. And, and maybe Paul knows there are those in that congregation and maybe by extension he would say to us, there, there are those that you, you're going to struggle with this because of the hurt that you've endured in the past. Or maybe he knew there was someone with such a, a deep loss and a deep tragedy that, that made you even question it. How could God love me and this happen? How could this be the case? Maybe there's something that pierces your heart and you begin to ask all sorts of questions. And one of those is like, does God really love? Does God really care? And, and so Paul writes, I, I want you to grip this. I want you to have a firm grip on this. Maybe there is something... Uh, a particular anxiety. Maybe it's a, an eating disorder. Maybe it's something that you have a hard time even explaining what's going on in your heart, but it just regularly makes you feel like, who could ever love me? Who could ever love me? Maybe you felt something because of your background or because of your family, because of the treatment of Maybe, maybe your entire race. Or maybe because of, of where you fell on the economic ladder, you, you've always felt, does, does anybody care? Or maybe it's just your, you have a good memory, and in this case, the good memory doesn't really serve you well because you remember all too well the past sin, the past mistakes, past times where you failed the Lord. Maybe even, even as I talk about the love of God, you know there's this stubborn sin that doesn't seem to be moving out of your life. And so all these things press, don't they? They press and, and, and maybe we feel like, I don't know that I can be assured that God loves me. And that's why Paul assumes you'll need help getting there and grasping the dimensions of God's love. So he says, I, I want you to know it. I want you to comprehend it. I want you to get your mind wrapped around these dimensions. The, and it, it's the height and the breadth and the length and the depth. I want you to get your mind around that. I'm praying for this. And, and I want you to know this, which actually surpasses knowledge. And it's, it's a paradox, isn't it? But, but we understand it because there's some things that you're, you're never going to know just by information transfer. I think love is one of those things. I have no doubt a good biologist or a good chemist could explain what's going on in the body when we feel love towards someone. And they could break it down into all the impulses that are being felt. I have every, every reason to believe that sociologists could explain and chart and graph why we might feel love toward this individual, that individual. There's something different about knowing, like an in information transfer sort of way, and really comprehending in our heart. A couple weeks ago, I was feeling so, so lousy. And just laying in bed, that's about all I could do. And coming into the bedroom were my two daughters who had made these wonderful cards. And those cards, those cards are special. They're, they're keepers. And what they communicated in those cards 
is they hated that their daddy was sick and they loved him very much. And they just wanted me to get better. In that moment, like it comes together, doesn't it? Like you, you realize, you grasp it. You grasp that you are loved. You comprehend that. Paul's praying for even a, a supernatural work of God so that we know we are loved. Do we grasp this? You know, all the pagan religions at Ephesus, and by the way, all the, all the faulty ideas of who God is and what he is in our own time, they never present a God who loves sinners. Love can be a fluffy term. I mean, you just, all you have to do is Spotify a few songs and you're going you're gonna to hear a definition of love that doesn't go that deep. And frankly, you can even listen to a lot of what's on Christian radio and you're going to hear a love that really doesn't seem to go that deep. We don't have to make stuff up about what it means that God loves us. I don't have to fill in the blanks just in my own imagination. Ephesians 1 says that love means I'm adopted. Ephesians 2 says that God initiates love toward us, but God, who is rich in mercy with the great love that he loved us with, when we were in our darkness, when we were in our sins, he came on a rescue effort, totally of his initiative. You know, I, I, I can read very familiar verses, and, and you'll know these. So at John 3.16, which says, For God so loved the world. This is what love is. Love sends a son on a rescue mission. You want to know how much God loves you. It's so that whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish but have eternal life. This is the kind of love that sacrifices. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, First John 4 says, but that he loved us. And that he sent his son to be a propitiation, a sacrifice, the, the atoning sacrifice, the appeasement of God's wrath for our sins. He saved us. He rescued us. You don't have to wonder about, like, what, what, what is God's love like? As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 13, our lives, our love is supposed to mirror God's love for us. And so we get a, get a glimpse into how much God loves us. So love in 1 Corinthians 13 is patient and kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. You want to know God's love? It's not irritable, resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. This is no, it's nothing fluffy. Nothing left to our imagination. This is clearly God saying, this is how I love you. This is love that, that disciplines, and, and this is strong love. Because Hebrews 12, 6 says, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastises the, the son whom he receives. We recognize for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, yet later it, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it because God loves us so much. He's willing to discipline. He's willing to shape us. He's willing to take us to the gym and work us out spiritually so that we know this, that we know that we are His and to point us to the right direction. This is love that perseveres to so Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels, rulers, things present, things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, anything else in all creation could separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're meant to know this love, you individually. But it also says, Paul says, I want you to know with all the saints, I want all of Ogletown to know. 
that God loves you with a sending, a sacrificing, a perfect, a disciplining, and a persevering love. I, I love you. Do we know this love? Do we experience this love? Did, did you walk in this morning assured of that love? Do you need assurance of it? Listen to Paul praying for those people and hear him praying for you and, and hear me as a pastor praying for you that you would know the love of God. That, he would, that you would know he is a, a good, good father. That you would know he loves you. Sometimes our, our singing helps us here. Sometimes the poetic words help us kind of grasp this. So an old hymn we would sing is, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene, and I wonder, and this is a good kind of wonder, I wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. There's so many other songs we could think of, even, even a, a more modern song written a few years ago. It starts off by saying, he is jealous for me. His love's like a hurricane and I'm a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy when all of a sudden I'm unaware of these afflictions because they've been eclipsed by glory and I realize just how beautiful are and how great your affections are for me. Oh, how he loves us. He loves us because we are his portion and he is our prize. We're drawn to redemption by the grace in his eyes and if grace is an ocean, then we are all sinking. What a notion to be sinking in. The grace of God. The love of God. Do you know it? Do you know this? Have you internalized it? Do you perceive that the, this is what matters the most? Do you pray this for others? Do you pray this for the people you care about? Paul says, if we don't grasp this, we are not going to get, in verse 19, we're not going to be filled with all the fullness of God. We'll never be all that God wants us to be if we don't have a grasp, a greater grasp, a deeper appreciation of how much he loves us. Do we want this? Do do we hunger for it? Do you right now, do I right now in this moment realize this is what matters, that we're strong on the inside and that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God loves us? You see, you have your kid's education to figure out. And you've got to be concerned about whether your 401k is doing exactly what it needs to be doing. And and you've got to think about a job and there's extracurricular activities. And and we get it. There's there's hobbies and there's the annoying person and there's the person that's needy and there's the the friend that you want, the friend that you have. There's the, the doctor's appointment on Tuesday, which is going to determine a lot. And there's the next step of work and there's the next step of of life. And that becomes so big. And Paul prays about none of that. Paul prays about some things that are actually go beyond that. He says, what you'll need the most for all of what I've just described is the strength of God on the inside. What you'll need the most for a a tough world is to be convinced that God loves you. When you come to the end of this passage, I, I... feel like if the Holy Spirit has done his work in our lives, we're kind of conflicted. Because at one point, I, I want to say, this is, this is like amazing in the do-good-to-be-true category. Because of that, it kind of leans me toward this, this actually seems impossible. And I think if we get toward the, this is really amazing, and this really seems impossible, 
then we're about right where Paul wants us to be when he adds on in verse 20 and kind of closes the thought. If we don't come to the conclusion that we need a really big God, I'm not sure we've gotten the passage. I think we need to just go back to the beginning and read it again. But if we recognize it's going to take a big God to strengthen me on the inside, it's going to take a big God to help me know that I'm loved beyond a shadow of doubt, then we're ready to hear now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. It will take a huge God. And this is a huge promise. My guess is that a ton of beautiful cards will be shared, exchanged today. And they'll express truth. They'll express love and they'll express great wishes and compassion. And then then when I read this passage, it's like there's another gear. And that is the gear of Paul's prayer. That I don't think Hallmark or American greetings would ever begin to capture. Do do we grasp this? How will we sh- how will we be shaped by what we just heard? How will you respond to the love of God? And maybe you say, Curtis, I feel like I've been a stranger to the love of God, but it makes sense, and I'm beginning like my eyes are beginning to be open. So then I ask, who are you going to talk to? How will you respond? Or how, how soon will you talk to someone? I mean, we'll have people available after the service. How soon will you make it a priority to talk to someone about this love that surpasses knowledge? How will you pray? How will you pray for yourself in light of what we've just read? How will you, will you begin praying for those that are closest to you? Is your prayer time this afternoon, tomorrow morning, is it changed significantly by how Paul prayed for the Ephesian believers? All those questions are left up to us and the Holy Spirit. I'd like to close our time with, with really a prayer based on this passage that I read from a pastor in Tennessee. That's a powerful prayer. I'll ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. In a moment, we'll sing. Let me read this prayer. Heavenly Father, as we read these words addressing the churches at Ephesus, we are more grateful than ever that you have rooted and grounded us in your love. You've planted our roots deep in the fathomless depths of your love. We will thrive forever. Father, this morning we're so glad that you can do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. But today we we'll settle for what we can ask for and what we can imagine. So Lord, we ask you to restore to us our our first love relationship with Jesus. We ask you for power, power for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit that will enable us, all of us, to, to grasp in Jesus how wide and how long, how high and how deep is his love for us. May the love of Jesus humble us. Help us remember the the gospel that we heard at first. And we can imagine this, Father, and we can ask for it so that your glory will be revealed in the church and throughout all generations. So we earnestly, we passionately pray in Jesus' beloved name. Amen.